Hello, it's Donny here from Partial Formation Diocese of Parramatta. Welcome to another episode of the Soul Food Podcast, sharing life-giving conversations and stories that nourish the soul. You know those meals that you never want to end because it was such a good feed? That's the feeling people's stories give us, and that's the sort of response we want you to experience after you listen to this episode. Welcome back to another episode. Today we get to hear from Len and his story of life and faith. Part of that story includes engagement in the ministry of spiritual accompaniment and group facilitation, particularly in the education setting. Len also walks passionately with others toward a mutual experience of the transformative power that the Word of God can offer. Len is married to Carol, and she too has a passion for spirituality and accompanying others. Carol also happens to be a representative of the diocese in the Australian Plenary Council. Along with being a parishioner in the diocese, Len has also been a representative of Parramatta Diocese's Diocesan Pastoral Council. Hey Len. G'day, g'day Donnie. Good to be here. Thanks for sharing the time with us. And um, yeah, it's an absolute privilege to be here. Len, in fact, and, and his wife Carol have uh, hosted us in their home. And so it's uh, created a very homely atmosphere here for this podcast. Now, Len, something we ask everyone on our podcast, because it's called Soul Food, we like, <laughs> we like to pick on that theme a little bit. Um, what's one memorable dish that you've had, whether that's recent or when you were younger? Look, my memorable dish is every time my wife cooks, she, I love it. And I, and I, it's, kind of, it's kind of more a case of me eating it rather than thinking too much about it. <laughs> but it is really lovely. She's made some kind of what you might call one pan dishes, which oh. has got a whole lot of stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And it's truly kind of explosive in my mouth. You know, it's so, it's so full, soul full, mm. I'll tell you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that, that's, that's the sort of thing I've been uh, appreciating lately about Carol's cooking. Yeah, that's brilliant. It's brilliant. Now, in fact, I asked uh, Carol this as well, um, this, this kind of question. I phrase it this way. Um, if someone were to, to say to you, uh, uh, Len, how have you lived a lifetime of life in faith? What are some of the stories that come to mind? What are some of the things that uh, you would share uh, in response yeah. to that statement? Well, I think uh, the, the most, most uh, kind of accented sort of experiences were when I was running retreats for school kids. Mm. And uh, it, it was always a part of my, my heart to sort of see kids engage with the Spirit of God. Now, how you, how you have evidence of that is another thing. But the one thing that impressed me when I ran day-long retreats, and even, I suppose, overnight retreats, but I ran mostly day-long retreats. Kids would come around 10 o'clock in the morning on the bus and be gone by 2. Mm-hmm. So I had four hours to do something. The very last session was always a meditation where the kids had to go into this huge room and they lay on the floor. And I would simply in, in, encourage them to, to just to be still and then I would guide them through a meditation where God would come into the picture somehow, you know, mm. but it would be it'd be through their own beings, through their own kind of personalities. Well, honestly, even the roughest of kids, you know, like a, a year 10 bunch coming off lunchtime playing touch football, the guys, mm-hmm. there they were. And this one teacher that accompanied them would say, Len, how did you do that? <laughs> but I would always ascribe the power of the Spirit as sort of being there with them, even though there wasn't anything conscious on their part. Yeah. 
hoping that they would have some sort of a, a spiritual experience where when they came out of it, there would be some sort of a sense, whoa, what happened there? Mm. Now, that's my, 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 my best memories of, of a spiritual kind of event mm-hmm. with people and where God might be in the picture. Uh, um, and then they would have to write as a, as a response coming out of the meditation a kind of a prayer on the card. Yeah, wow. And then they'd leave it there at the altar and they, I said, you can take it with you. But if they left them there, I read them. They're all anonymous. Mm-hmm. And they were just amazing what they said. Mm. It, it, it's, my, it's really, really my most treasured memory. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you what, what you thought um, enabled that for them. But you mentioned already this, this sense that the spirit was already there with them. Uh, yeah. yeah. I believe that. I, 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 I saw kids' responses which were... In school, wouldn't wouldn't happen, and I thought this is the value of going away for retreats rather mm. than doing them on school grounds or things or something where they were familiar in an area they were familiar. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I had to trust that really. I know I, I was the instrument. My mm. voice was the instrument. My my personality was the instrument. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to believe, and I, that 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 there was something beyond me touching them yeah well yeah it's a it's an amazing mystery to kind of consider yeah 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 and as you did more of those retreats um with those uh students what would you say was the thing that slowly distilled itself and and sort of surprised you maybe as something that you picked up from doing those retreats something of a a change did you notice anything Mm. change in you as as you did those retreats over time well you never saw really very much aftermath of those retreats but during the retreats there were there was one particular episode when you say you know distill the uh what did you see emerging i Mm. I suppose well one time when they had a year 10 retreat up in queensland and uh it was a whole form, actually. I think it must have been a must have been ninety kids or something, year ten, you know. And I I invited volunteers to come forward and sit on that chair out there in front of everybody, and I'm going to ask them questions about their relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, I got three volunteers, I remember, and I asked them, like you're asking me, I asked them. The whole kind of group was just very quiet, mm-hmm. and the honesty of those answers were the best. The best thing that could happen. Yeah. I loved it when kids gave their honest answers. And even when when they uh, would give an answer that would be like a, a very negative thing, like mm-hmm. I don't believe, I don't think God's really around us. And, and the, my questions would be, well, tell us a bit more. Mm-hmm. But there was one time a girl was one of the volunteers and then after the retreat on the veranda before she left home, she said, thank you so much for letting me be so kind of honest about mm. my relationship with, with Jesus. And, and however, that was for her. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't sort of try to try to fashion it or in any way. So that, that was one emergence that came mm. out, I guess, a result of a day. Mm-hmm. I was so glad to hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave me encouragement. Yeah. You know? I, I imagine for the average parishioner... Um, they wouldn't have as part of their usual routine, you know, the ability to run a retreat or um, to have that opportunity even to, to put on a retreat. What would you say are some of the breadcrumbs in your life and faith story that led to uh, your capacity to run retreats? What, what's some of the story that formed you so that you could be a, a retreat uh, facilitator? <laughs> oh, gosh, it, it sort of came, first of all, I think it emerged really when I was a school teacher. Mm. And when I was teaching RE, the whole personable approach during our is restricted as it was because it was catechetical mainly. Mm-hmm. But I really tried to get some sort of a sense of their experience. 
so that 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 sort of pointed to to something in my early teaching years and then mm. uh, when i went to university and had a semester br- break this principal of the school where i was working before as a religious patrician brother mm-hmm. uh, said listen Len, i want you to come over to the school and and run some retreats for year nine and year eight okay well i'd never run retreats it was basically going over to the newly constructed shed <laughs> for, for the sporting field yep. and we had this hollow empty room yep. and I had a class every day from year eight to year nine that was eight eight wow. classes and in that during that day that that really revealed to me how I get kids to kind of be honest and and and, and give their account yeah and, and we'd have to break them up in the small groups to to uh to facilitate that but that was my my learning my kind of uh how do you call it uh my um at, uh, <laughs> the, the place where I learnt mm-hmm. how to kind of develop those skills. Yeah. yeah, training ground is what I'm trying to say. My training ground. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that um, that expression that uh, religious education at the time when you were um, helping deliver it was catechetical. For someone who hasn't heard that expression before, how would you describe catechetical? Well, getting the kids to learn the, about uh, aspects about their faith. Uh, just the knowledge department, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, uh, what's Lent about, what's Advent about, what's, what is it, uh, what's, what's, uh, what's it about Jesus' crucifixion or, or all the kinds of, I'm just even trying to think, you know, just the topics that you'd have in a, in a, in a book, in a curriculum that you'd be teaching them so they'd be learning. But it was, it always felt dry. Mm. You never felt good enough to just leave it at that. You'd you'd want the kids to sort of connect it with themselves. Yeah, yeah. That's what made it come alive. Uh, as difficult as it was within the 35, 40 minutes, disruptive classes sometimes, kids not interested, you had to find a motivational approach. Mm-hmm. And, and I was always pleased when kids came up with something personal. For some reason in my own life, giving in a personal account has never been difficult. Even mm. what you're doing now with me is not difficult. Mm. I love doing this kind of thing. <laughs> and I suppose I wanted that for everybody else. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And if someone came up to you then just, you know, genuinely open, they're curious and they're saying, you know, I, I've learned things about my life and faith uh, catechetically. How else can I learn? What kind of directions would you suggest for them or what other sources of learning would you point them toward? Oh, gosh, I, I, I don't know. I, I at that time, nothing really. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any kind of uh, invitation or welcome for that. But but today, uh, if I've if I've got any legacy from all those years of, mm-hmm. of, of being involved in in spiritual reflection, I, I'm I'm finding myself really encouraging people to learn how to be contemplative, how to be mm-hmm. meditational about their life. And I I hear a lot about school teachers leading kids in meditation in their class, which I did in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so happy to hear that that that, uh, that people in the educational field are picking that up and, and seeing that as really essential if you're going to really grow up and just uh, be be a healthy kind of person. Mm-hmm. But, but to know anything about God or your faith, you you know, I'm, I'm inviting adults to really take on the pauses of life in in their life to really, to really just stop and not necessarily. Uh, anticipate or expect an answer yeah. in their meditations it's it's really just just being uh, uh surrendering themselves to knowing that okay this god that i know is really here with me and 
in this circumstance. Mm. That, that's that's the thing I would love to see happen, uh, a consciousness to develop in people. Yeah. You know? when, when I hear the word contemplative, I, I do find myself, or I find myself um, thinking about that image of, you know, being away in some sort of monastery or some oh, yeah. secluded religious community. How would you... Um, how would you embed the word con- contemplative in everyday living? What, what does that look mm. like? What does that mean? Well, the first thing, it's free. It's simple. You de- take deep breaths. Mm-hmm. You just breathe deeply. Maybe you stop walking, stop looking. You know, you might be looking at something. Just gaze. That's something that I, we've, Carol and I picked up years and years ago. Just gaze. That means you're not lo- looking for anything, but you're simply observing Mm. so observing something accompanied by a deep breath will get you started Mm -hmm. now if you start to use a book to kind of get some uh, to read something in order to reflect but preceding that the whole habit of being able to breathe deeply particularly if you're anxious I'm, I'm, i'm trying to develop the habit and i think i do have a certain kind of habit if, if I'm feeling anxious and, and, and something has sprung out at me and, and I just don't know how to respond, deep breathing is, is my go-to place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, so, okay, depending upon the situation, then if, if you do have, if you can take a moment, whether you're at the, at the desk in the office or, or at the, uh, at the uh, you know, you're carpentering or whether you're even looking at your tablet, I suppose, your kids or your, your smartphones, just stop and breathe and gaze and look rather than always anxiously searching for something. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Say I'm new to the practice and I'm, I'm asking on your experience of it, uh, Len, um, and if I were going to ask you, how do I know I'm contemplating well, what would you say are some of the, the place markers that I would be uh, looking for to know that I'm engaging in it well? You know... Uh, I realize that oftentimes I, if I'm recommending myself or getting the habit of saying to someone, breathe deeply, that, that it's often related to the sense that they may be feeling off-center off and feeling anxious. So how, how well can I gauge whether I'm, I'm contemplating and gazing? I think if, if I can even register my chest, that my heart, at being at some kind of level of peace, mm. You know, uh, and if it's not there, wait for it. Now, you know, one or two minutes of silence in our society is just hugely long. We almost get tempted to want to fill it up. Mm. So, okay. So, if you can acknowledge that temptation and just hold yourself for two or three minutes and take those deep breaths, I think your your gauging of your of your level of contemplation is whether you are you are feeling at peace. And if you're sitting or, or, or standing, uh, where are the points of tension that you just in your head need to go to and say, relax, relax, uh, shoulder, relax, uh, knee. Mm. <laughs> you're actually talking to your body. Mm-hmm. So that could be a bit of a marker or a couple of markers. Um, don't expect necessarily any great revelations. That's, that might come, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a marker of that you're contemplative. Yeah. Contemplative is one deep breathing and gazing, which involves either looking, but the gazing aspect is also an attitude involving hearing. Right. Some people think listening is where you go to first. No, you don't. You go to hearing first. In other words, you're simply receiving what's coming at you. Mm-hmm. The listening is then you sort of take it in and there's an interpretive kind of 
dynamic going on for, for listening. Mm-hmm. But hearing and gazing before you're listening and looking. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> before you're listening and seeing, sorry. Right. Yeah. Right. Seeing follows looking. Yeah. You know, what do you see now? Oh, and then of course you go to your mind, you know, and you're trying to see, okay, well, what, what, what is the spirit saying to me? Or what, what have I learned from this? That's your seeing. That's your, uh, that, that's your uh, seeing and your hearing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're listening, sorry, happening. Yeah. yeah. Much like the retreat when you said that you, you recognize the spirit that's um, indwelling, if you will, with the students. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you recognizing the spirit uh, in the practice of contemplation yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, that, that's the mystery of all our lives. But, you know, you, you kind of hope something in your torso, literally in your body, is, is, which is a result of metabolism. It's not just something super outside of your body. It's really involving the chemistry of your body where... The chemistry is suggesting a certain kind of oh, a feeling that maybe you haven't even had before, and I think kids have told me that. Boy, that was a an extraordinary feeling I just had, and and I'll never explain it. Neither will you or you or I. Mm. No, we're not. It's not meant to be explained, but can be acknowledged that I've had a movement. That's mostly, I think, how the spirit works. Yeah. Apart from revealing maybe a message or something. Yeah, but it's really. I think that's the first place and just to be happy with that, yeah. even if you can't explain it. Yeah. I'm just picking up that subtlety in your distinction that it's not super or beyond the human experience. Why do you think that's important that you're, you're acknowledging that it's a biological experience? <laughs> Why would you say that's important? I guess because I guess I suppose for years and years and years I've been, I've been really a, an avid, uh, an avid... I don't know whether the word is supporter or, or believer of our humanity mm. and and even kind of, you know, directing my attention to what was it like for Jesus mm-hmm. to actually stand in front of someone and they come up and, he, and here's this, uh, there's this paralytic or this leper. What went through him? And I don't think it's necessarily in the, in the domain where we say, well, he's the son of God, he can do anything. But I would like to get my cues from Jesus. Mm. of being human so it's a bodily thing that he also experienced and that's what makes my faith so so earthy yeah and yeah. and i i'd love to to have people kind of come to that realization themselves but yeah it has to be a body otherwise it becomes something what you know special for people who can have special experiences and i can't have it mm-hmm. no no yes you can Mm-hmm. I'm hearing, I'm hearing really, really deep uh, incarnational spirituality when you say that. Yeah, and we're all God can can you know God has no favorites. Mm-hmm. You know we can all have it. It's a case of how open we might be to it, mm-hmm. even if nothing happens for a long time. Mm-hmm. But God is always present, as the Scripture says, closer than you, uh, you know uh, uh, you are to yourself or your, your marrow is to your bone mm-hmm. uh, which is strange it's a really a metaphor mm-hmm. for saying just how involved god is in your body yep <laughs> let alone in your thinking mm-hmm. i think a lot of people think uh, you know, i've got to have a religious thought to have god in my life mm-hmm. but no no you just got to acknowledge that that god is there you don't have to have religious language yeah, necessarily. Okay. okay. Yeah, uh, you use the expression uh, "earthy, earthy um, spirituality" or "earthy faith." I, I use the the phrase, you know, incarnational spirituality. Where would you recommend people to go to 
read more of this or hear people talk about uh, this kind of spirituality? What, what's some go-to places that you could recommend that have shaped your, your earthy sense of faith? Well, look, there's a lot of resources, but I'd say the first place to go to is to someone they know has an earthy spirituality and see what they recommend. Mm. I mean, I could give you a list. I wouldn't even remember them. I mean, it's not a case of giving a list of books or a mm. list of movies or something like that. It's really to find that person in their life uh, who, who, when they sit next to, they feel so relaxed. They really want to know what, what's inside of them. And maybe what's inside of them is to say, well, look, they may know a, a resource. Look, I really recommend this. And for instance, I, uh, I've been accompanying a person, an adult, in his late life to be baptized in the Catholic Church. Mm. And we have, have had coffees, you know, a fortnightly basis. And the more he talks about his life, well, my experience of, of, of a reading list, I recommended a book. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, that was spot on, Lan. Yeah. You know, so you, you, you need to find someone who is a resource, is a, is a kind of a mentor for you mm-hmm. and let them advise you on something to read. Mm, so the starting point being a relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, that's, that's a good way to put it, yeah. But find that person. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never, I suppose those people have come into my life one way or another. Yeah. You know, I was in a religious order, I lived in a monastery, there were wiser men when I was a young, young brother. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, you knew the ones that kind of spoke from their from their chest from their heart rather than just from their ideas or head and and i used to pick anytime anyone gave me some suggestion i would pick it up and go with it and i think that's been sort of the uniqueness of my life and i've always and i i scratch my head as to whether why other people remain stuck in their 20s maturity when they're 50 Mm, why haven't they grown and, and I can't help thinking I've had the best teachers, workshops, courses, uh, conferences and retreats in my life and I've just picked up whatever the person has said and it's made me that kind of healthier person. Yeah. And I wish that for everybody. Yeah. 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 But there's one thing I want to say, Donnie, I'm not sure whether any of your questions will evoke that from sure. me, but the one thing I've learned when I was doing retreats and, and, and teaching or whatever, I was for some reason I was never afraid to reveal some experience of my life. Even, mm-hmm. say, with my family life where one of my brothers suffers mentally. Uh, I would give stories. People would caution me. Of course, you had to kind of be very circumspect. But I'd give stories about my own life, my own depression, whatever. Boy, when I did that on occasions to see people freed up, to be honest about themselves, well, I can tell you that's no greater gift in my mm. life than to, to share your own suffering your own pain, your own difficulties, to realise also you're not you're, you're not on your own in it. But if you're game enough to speak about it, boy, watch how people open up yeah. and take responsibility for their own life. Conversation. Uh, we like to finish with this particular um, context. What would you ideally like a newcomer in a church experience to experience in themselves? Well, a newcomer and and. Uh, First of all, to recognize that there is a newcomer in the congregation or in the in the community. And I, I, I find that our Catholic communities are, are not so great or seem to be rather shy to approach someone that's obviously a stranger in the pews. Mm. So the first thing I want them to experience is for some of us at least to go over and say, Hi, I'm Len, I'm Mary, I'm Jane, I'm Max. I haven't seen you around before. Uh, I'd just like to say hello. Yeah. And in the hope that they would then respond 
and say so, so recently we had a couple in front of us and to me they looked newly wed almost uh, but I didn't want to be too presumptuous but at the end of mass I often either look around to the pew behind me or in front of me and, and in this particular case they were in front never saw them before Carol and I never saw them I said oh hi uh, we're getting up to leave the church well I hope you have a good Sunday and I just want to say hello I'm Len and they introduced themselves. They said, oh, we just moved into the area. Mm. So I think that the, the courage to go over to a strange face in the congregation and introduce yourself would be the thing that I'd recommend. Mm. And where it goes from there, you never, you never know. Yeah. Where does, that, where does that conviction come for you personally? That conviction that we <laughs> need to do that more. Yeah. I suppose because, well, being extroverted, it doesn't take too much for me to kind of like engage with people. But I suppose you do see the result of it. Uh, I, I have had the result where people uh, want to be remain distant and mm-hmm. don't want you to encroach on them. Mm. That's, but that's rare. Mm. So when you see people responding and, and opening up, well, it only gives you reinforcement to do it again. Mm. What I like to is encourage people who feel in the Catholic Church, watch the way we assemble. Just watch. And we're all in our little little normal corners. And the, the impression I get is we're not supposed to disturb each other mm. from the tradition of kneeling down, facing the tabernacle, offering a prayer and just wanting to, to have that kind of uh, settling in. That you know, And I've seen people almost giving you the body language, please don't come over, I'm praying. Mm. Okay, so that discourages you. Mm. So all I can say is use a little bit of common sense and a little bit of courage to see whether you need to kind of go into that space and say hello and make some sort of contact yeah yeah that's a brilliant way to finish thanks Len. (laughs) thank you donnie we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the soul food podcast don't forget to like and follow us on spotify or on your preferred listening platform this podcast is produced by pastoral formation mission enhancement team in the diocese of Parramatta. All relevant links will be provided in the description below. See you at our next meal on the Soul Food Podcast.